Good morning, everyone. Uh, we have encountered a major storm, and we canceled the service, but we are bringing a live stream message to you. Uh, we have a guest this morning, actually two guests they are going to share with us, uh, and we are believing for a very powerful morning together. So thank you for tuning in. If you're tuning in after the service is over, you're still going to be as blessed as anyone watching live. So we welcome you, our uh, live stream audience. And it's an honor that you, week by week, join us, connect with us, and are blessed by the ministry here. Um, we're coming off an amazing weekend. We called it Freedom Weekend, and we had a group from LL Ministries in Canada and in the U.S. come and just bring um, some powerful teachings from the Word of God. And there was a lot of people that got free, a lot of people left baggage at the altar, and God has done some amazing things. If you were part of the audience here during the conference, we would love to hear some feedback about what God has done in your life. Uh, but until that opportunity presents itself, I want to just introduce to you our guests that are here, and they're going to bring the Word of God. So I'd like to invite Matt Moore. He's the National Director of LL Ministries in the U.S., and uh, I'd like to invite Kent also, Kent Bandy. He's the National Director of LL Ministries in Canada. And I'm going to turn the mic over to them, starting with Matt. Matt's going to share some things, and then Kent's going to bring the word. Thanks for coming, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Pastor Jim. It's been a real privilege to be with all the folks here at Faith Chapel in Syracuse, New York. And I want to thank you all for welcoming me from Florida uh, with a, a major snowstorm. I grew up in Ohio, and uh, I haven't seen a storm like this since I was a kid, uh, so thank you for that blessing. I have actually enjoyed seeing the snow. I like being here for a few minutes in it, but uh, don't really enjoy being in it long term, so thank you for sharing that with me, but I'll be going back to Florida tomorrow morning. Well, I, I just want to say a, a real special thank you to uh, Pastor, uh, the pastor and his wife here, Lord, the, the, that... Um, they have done such a wonderful job of hosting us, Pastor Jim and Pastor Kelly and their family and the whole church, really, uh, Pastor Mary uh, and the others on staff and the family. We would just want to say a special thank you to all of you for, uh, for hosting us and treating us really like family. And I was looking at your website and I saw uh, that your values actually are we are growing to be more like Jesus, we are a family like no other, and we love the we love the person in front of us, and we boldly respond to the Holy Spirit. And I've seen that in action uh, for the brief time that I've been with you guys. As Pastor uh, Jim said, I am the National Director of Ella Ministries USA, and that is located, our center is in Florida, Tampa, Florida. Kent, who's going to bring the message this morning in just a moment, is the National Director of Canada and also the Center Director uh, for Eastern Canada location, uh, not but about three hours from Syracuse. And uh, so we've teamed up together to bring the Freedom Weekend here this weekend, and we thank the Lord for the opportunity to minister in the area. I just wanted to share a little bit about what LO Ministries is. LO Ministries is a healing and discipleship ministry started in 1986 in England, in the north of England. And the original, uh, the original situation was that Peter Horobin, who founded the ministry in England, was going to have uh, just a ministry in the north of England, a small healing ministry. And the Lord has taken it now in the last 33 years and taking it worldwide. 
to 42 nations so far, including the United States and, of course, Canada. And uh, I have a few pictures back here where we started, LL. Uh, Grange in England is near Lancaster, England, and then you, uh, they'll show you some images of where other locations are, uh, including locations in Scotland, in Holland, in, uh, um, in, in the south of England, and uh, actually many locations all over the world that we have. This one's in Australia, and I think the Canada location is on the next one. So uh, the intention was just to have a small healing ministry in the north of England, but it's grown exponentially, and the Lord has blessed it because people are hungry for what the Lord has deposited in the ministry. It's a healing and a discipleship ministry. But it's been a real challenge to establish it here in the States, as you can see in one of the coming pictures. Uh, we've got all these beautiful places around the world, and then we have the land, 140 acres in Florida that's been highly contended for uh, spiritually. Uh, we've been there since 2005, but still this is the, the blank land that we have. We don't have really any significant buildings. There's a few uh, buildings on the land. But uh, we haven't gotten the main center built, and mainly because we were contending just to own the land. Well, in, in 2018, the Lord uh, has seen fit to set the land free of all of the debt and all of the contention that it had legally, and now we are uh, free to build, and we intend to build uh, quite a significant location that will be a hub location for North America, South America, and the Caribbean. And so this is a great big vision, far above what I can imagine, and, uh, but it's, it's a God-sized vision. And when God does it, we give him all the glory. We can't take any of the credit. Even getting the land free this year, we had a deadline of March 31st. On March 26th, uh, we had only 440000 of the $1.5 million that we had to come up with in order to clear all of the debt from the land. And six hours before the meeting with the person that, was, that held the mortgage, somebody called me and said, the Lord has told me to give you a million dollars towards the land. And we were able to pay off the land on the 31st of March. And it's significant because that's Passover, actually, on the calendar. We came out of bondage of Egypt and came into freedom. So we're looking forward to the Lord doing great things. We're, we're looking forward to building plans now. Not the main center, unless the Lord gives us $12 million suddenly. Uh, but we are looking at building some more significant buildings on the land so we can service the people of North America. And our desire is to have them all over the United States, the centers all over the United States. But I would just share this as I wind up. When I came on the land back in 2014, became the director, national director. I was a pastor before that, and I uh, was a lawyer before that. I'm going to make up my mind someday what I'm going to be when I grow up. But right now, as the national director, when I came on the land in 2014, I heard uh, the Lord... Uh, I asked the Lord, Lord, why do we have all these beautiful centers around the world? And here in America, we have this blank piece of land. And I heard the Lord speak very clearly into my spirit. He said, Matt, what you see in the physical of the land of LL is the way I see the church in America in the spiritual. The church in America is rich and increased with goods and believes that they're in need of nothing but the way that I see them spiritually is they're pretty naked and they need to be clothed. 
And one of the things of the ministries of LL is bringing the healing so that we can put on the garments of righteousness that the Lord has for us. And so there is salvation, but there is a process of healing that needs to come. And that's what LL is all about. Luke 9, 11 is the, our, our key scripture. Jesus welcomed the people. He taught them about the kingdom of God, and he healed everyone who's in need. So we want to bring healing to the body of Messiah. We are not a church. We come alongside the churches to help them in this process of bringing healing to the flock. And our real desire is to work ourselves out of a job as a ministry in training the church how they can do this prayer ministry within the church to bring healing and freedom to the people. So with that, I just want to say thank you again for, for hosting us. Uh, we really feel a connection to this church and to this region now, and we just bless you in Jesus' name. And I want to invite Kent to come and share the word the Lord has given him. Kent. Thanks, Matt. Well, good morning, everyone. What an honor to be with you today. I, I hope that uh, you can really settle in and hear the voice of the Lord this morning. And as we begin, I just want to share a little snippet with you. Um, I believe that when we come to know Christ and we come to know Him, we are rescued out of being fathered by another father, seeing with a different set of eyes, hearing with a different set of ears. We're reconciled to our Father in heaven, but His world is countercultural to the one that we grew up in. And I, I say that because as we, we open the scripture this morning, we're actually going to look at a very, fairly familiar story. And familiar stories scare me because I know the tendency that we have to kind of say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know this one and scroll past. Well, because God's word is alive and active, you may know what it says, but you may not know what the Holy Spirit wants to say today. So if you'd be willing to pray with me, I just want to say, Father in heaven, would you open our eyes today to help us see what you want to see? Would you open our ears to hear what you want us to hear? And I pray that you would be glorified in every home, every heart, that your kingdom goes forward one step at a time. May the seed sown this morning bring you eternal glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the familiar story, gang. Once there was a man named Abram. And God got Abraham's number and he called him out of Ur of the Chaldeans. This is a literal historic story, very significant in the body of Christ for our, our roots. But it also is, because it's a story about God and his children, it's packed full of not just the historicity and the facts, but it's also packed full of spiritual principles that are timeless. I'm hoping this morning and asking God for the clarity to extract out those spiritual principles for you. As Abram followed God, there was a time in the land where actually there was a famine in the land, unlike today where we live in such lavishness and such luxury. And I know you may be in a, in a place where you're saying, I don't live in that, Kent. But actually, in a global standard, we live in the, you know, the top percentile of wealth. And so in Abraham's day, there was a famine. And in the, in the famine, Abram went to Egypt to get food, and God provided food for him, and then he came out. Now, the covenant that God has enacted with us is a, a generational blessing, and God often talks about in the scripture how his covenant is with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the, the granddad, the son, and the grandson, and then their descendants after them. Well, it's interesting then that, that um, 
there's another famine in the land. Isaac, in this case, he goes to Gerar when there's a famine. And when he's in Gerar, God takes care of him. There's some issues there about him lying with his wife like his dad. But anyways, we're not talking about that today. And he comes out. God uses that, that land, even though he's in a foreign land, he, God uses it to provide for him. Then Jacob also encounters a, a famine in the land. And he moves to Egypt. And God provides for him there. But this time, the land of blessing becomes a land of bondage. And God's people, while they multiply and they grow in numbers on the outside, they grow enmeshed with the deities in Egypt, called and set apart to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But God led them to a place to be provided for, but in that place, they become part of what's going on there. And it goes south really fast. And eventually the leader of that, that uh, nation, it was Egypt, the leader's Pharaoh. Pharaoh literally is just filled with his venom towards God's people. And he makes slaves of them. At once they've forgotten kind of the blessing of Joseph. And if you know the story, you're, you're ahead of me. But uh, once they forget the blessings, God's people come under bondage and he makes them slaves. And they're not slaves for a year or two. They're slaves for many, many years. So I just wanted to show you that because the, the land of blessing became a land of bondage. It was God's heart to shelter and protect them there it was, and, and to multiply them. But it was not God's heart that they'd get enmeshed with the gods there. So when you, we get into trouble, we tend to cry out. Most of us have heard a child cry out. Most of us did it when we were children. And some of us as grown adults were pretty good at crying out for help. It's not a bad thing. What you need to know is spiritually, when you cry out for help, God always hears, never forgets, and constantly and consistently answers the cry of his kids. He answers in ways we often don't expect, though. And I want to show you this here. When the people cry out, God chooses a man who was raised in that land of wickedness. He's from the generational blessing of a people set apart to God, but he's raised in, in, the, in this Egyptian lifestyle. In fact, he's raised in Pharaoh's house. And so in order for God to use him as a leader, that he just jumps right into leadership, takes matters into his own hands, and he starts to bring about a train wreck. And he kills one of the Egyptians. And it's interesting that Moses actually runs out of Egypt. And it's 40 years later. So he's around 40 years old. 40 years he's out of Egypt before he comes back. You ever ask why? I don't know everything that God does. I can't claim that. But I know a principle about our Father in heaven. That when he snatches us out of the world... He also needs to detox us from the world. Or else we would be trying to lead in the kingdom under worldly auspices and principles. And so God takes this man who was actually raised in the heart of Egypt and he takes him into the wilderness in order to take the Egypt out of the man so he can bring him back. And when he comes back, he's literally confronting one of his adopted siblings who he grew up with, and God sends him back to say, let my people go. And so in Exodus chapter 6, verse 2 to 5, God says to Moses, I'm the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob 
as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them and give, to give them the land of Canaan where they reside as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Those are the lead-ins of a father coming to rescue his children. And however you interpret the story I'm about to tell you, I implore you, please catch God's heart on this. So God tells Moses, Moses, go to Pharaoh. So Moses and Aaron, Exodus 7, verse 10 and following, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and just did just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh. Do you hear this story? Aaron throws his staff down in front of Pharaoh. It becomes a snake. And the two magicians who assisted Pharaoh, Pharaoh looks at them, tells them they throw their staffs down and they also become snakes, indicating that there's a spiritual war on between deities. See, because what we don't realize, not being part of that context, is that the snake was seen as spiritual power. Pharaoh wore one on his headdress. Often they'd have them on his throne. They sometimes would have them as entrances to the, to the uh, city. Everywhere they went, the snake was actually representative of spiritual power. So it's interesting that God uses that language. And Aaron's staff eats the other two snakes. So yes, the world can mimic what the king can do. But God also makes a statement. There's a new king in town. Why does he do that? You say, well, God's on an ego trip. No, you're misunderstanding. Well, God, he's got to prove himself. Not for the reasons we often think. His kids are in bondage. He's got to show them that he's still God. He's got to show them that he's still powerful. And so we see this, then this... Um, what do you call it, a wave of plagues that hit Egypt. And often we think, I used to think, I don't know where you're at, maybe you've studied this and you're eons ahead of me, God will speak to you anyways. But I used to think that this was just, just God was mad and he's just literally, not throwing snowballs, but he's literally just trying to humiliate the Egyptians. Well, while there may be an aspect of that, as I've gotten to know God as father, I see something different when his kids are actually in bondage. And so... What happens with the plagues is the first plague is that the Nile River turns to blood. Well, it's, it's kind of weird. Don't understand it. But if you take a look at Egypt more closely, Egypt, in Egypt, they actually worshipped the Nile as a god. There was a number of deities. In fact, one thing you need to know about Egypt, it's kind of the Mecca of occult power of the Middle East at that time. And so when God turned the Nile to blood, they believed that the Nile was the life source that brought life to their region. Every year when the Nile would flood, it would flood over about eight miles either side, and that's kind of the green zone where they would grow most of their crops and that kind of thing. And they actually believed spiritually that the Nile was the blood stream of a god named Osiris, a high-level occultic god. And so they worshipped the Nile as a god and the source of life supplying Egypt. Are you with me? Have you read your Bible? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1, uh, actually 2, 7. God formed man out of the dust of the ground, and then he breathed the breath of life into Adam. Here's what I want you to note with this. There was another deity that God's children 
were enmeshed in trusting to receive life. But God is the life source. So in order to rescue his kids, he's got to show them that where they put their trust is a vain hope. Do you follow what I'm saying? You say, well, Kent, what's the next plague? Thank you for asking. It turns out to be a plague of of frogs. You think, well, frogs are definitely not significant in this story at all. No, au contraire. And I I invite you, you can look up on the internet and study some of this kind of stuff. I'm looking at a a Barnes Bible chart that just explains some of the skeleton of this. It really help you. But actually, uh, one of the frog goddesses of Egypt was this god named Hapi, H-A-P-I. And it's interesting that the peoples looked to Hapi to actually be the one who assisted women in childbirth to bring life into the Lord or into the world. That's interesting because God's second challenge then to rescue his kids is actually uh, making a mockery of the second God that they trust in to bring life. Incredible. I wonder about the other plagues. Like with lice, could it have been a, an attack on Seb, the god of the, earth, of, of the earth and of Egypt? With flies, could it have been an attack on another god who was a fly god of Egypt? How about the disease on cattle? If you do a little homework and find out how many of their gods had either, the, either were sculpted in the shape of a cow or were at the head of a cow. And so when God brings the disease on the cattle, he is attacking one of the false deities that hold his kids bondage to show his children they've put their trust in something toxic that actually can't deliver them at all, but actually enslaves them. This is a loving father. I don't know how many of you are dads who are watching or here. Okay. I mean, I'm a, I'm a busted dad on a good day. But I'll tell you this. When my kids are in trouble, whoa, I'm there. I might be there in a busted, goofy, broken kind of way. But there isn't a higher priority. All I can tell you is on my best day, I'm still creating God's image. And I may carry a little bit of his father heart. But because he's perfect and he's pure and his kids are in trouble... I don't think we really have the capacity to imagine the ferocity with which he comes to rescue. And so, how many of you guys have read your Bible? You know what happens later in in, uh, Exodus when uh, Moses is being given the Ten Commandments? He's kind of out of the picture up the mountain. People are kind of bored, twiddling their thumbs. They want to worship something because it's in us all to worship. And what do they make? A golden calf, just a coincidence. No. They make a replication of one of the gods, of the land that the Lord had. So in other words, God has delivered them. He's taking them out somewhere else. And they're going back to an old God because there's a gap, they think, in the revelation. They think there's a gap in the favor of God. They think there's a gap in him providing for them. They think there's a gap. And so I'm going to put something in that gap. And lo and behold, I go back to worship one of the old gods of the land my Father in heaven tried to set me free from. I wish this was a principle just isolated in the old covenant way back there that is not as timeless as it is today. But what I'm describing to you, friends, you may get a witness right in your own heart. Say, I've seen that in me. I've seen that in me. How about the boils 
This time, well, actually, the disease on cattle, he's tackling at least four deities. The boils, at least three. The hail, he's attacking Newt, the Egyptian goddess of the sky. Isis and Seth, agricultural deities. I mean, God's not holding back. It's not like 10 is a magic number, except that 10 does have significance in the scriptures. God is tackling the deities that his, his children put their trust in. Then, of course, there's the hail, there's the... the the curse or the plague of locusts. And then number nine is actually the plague of darkness. Would you believe how central sun worship was in Egypt? Because the sun seems like that great ball of fire in the sky seems like it is a life source to the earth. But it's actually the God who made it who is the life source to the earth. And so when God brings darkness into his children's life at this stage we now have the curses the plagues are directly attacking the egyptians and though the israelites experience it they're also sheltered from it that started back in plague number four. First three hit everybody the next next six he sheltered them from it so he's showing them two things he's dismantling the idolatry of their culture but also sheltering them under his hand while he's doing it. And then we get to the death of the firstborn. This plague was, in fact, a judgment on all of Egypt's gods, but especially on Pharaoh himself, because Pharaoh was worshipped as like the ultimate powerhouse. And so God's doing two things. One, Pharaoh had actually killed the firstborn of, of uh, the Hebrews, when Moses was sheltered and protected. God remembers. God says that a man, God, first he says God cannot be mocked, and that a man reaps what he sows. So Pharaoh's getting payback on what he sowed into, into that. But also, God's also exalting himself at this point and telling them this man may have dominated you, this man may have persecuted you, this man may have enslaved you, but there's a new king in town. And at this point, as you know, Pharaoh breaks. And he lets them go. And God takes them out of... He gives them very strict instructions. He teaches them all about the Passover in that moment. Because the Passover is going to be a celebration every year. And every year you're going to start your year with this celebration. You remember God's deliverance from Egypt and that Egypt is not your home. You're not going back to Egypt. By the way, when you get a king, don't go back to Egypt to get horses. When you get lonely and tired, don't go back to Egypt for hope. He says don't go back to Egypt so many times through the Old Covenant because he knows their vulnerability. And he leads them out and he leads them to the Red Sea. And if you know the story, you know they're kind of between a rock and a hard place in that sense. And Pharaoh and his army are coming behind them and the, the Israelites don't know what to do. And all of a sudden God speaks to Moses. Moses stretches out his staff. The sea actually parts. They walk across on dry land. And as Pharaoh and his army tries to follow, the sea comes crashing in and destroys the opponent. So now God has done the 11th miracle and then he's taken care of the bad guys when the Israelites were powerless to fight them. Let me say that again. After revealing himself as God Most High and exposing other places they put their trust and worship as an inadequate deliverance, he then protects them when they're vulnerable 
and ushers them across this waterway into a place called the desert. Now, I don't know about you as, as listeners of the congregation here, but when we hear about a God that takes his kids into the desert, we kind of grit our teeth and say, yeah, I hate the desert. I, I mean, sand on the beach is nice. Sand in the desert's awful. And something of our flesh starts to rise up and say, what kind of a God takes his kids into the desert? And, and if you read the scriptures through your flesh, you're going to get that attitude and a whole bunch more toxicity. But if you ask the Lord to open your eyes, you can read something very different about the same place that God took his kids. Because as he does this, it says, in the desert, the whole community begins to grumble against Moses and Aaron. And the Israelites said, this is Exodus 16 two, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Hello? Have you forgotten something? The word is slavery, uh, bondage, beatings, murder, working every day. How quickly we forget the goodness of God. You know, I, I, when I was younger, I'd read this and say, man, those Israelites, dumb, 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 dumb. Then I realized what Christ has done. I'm grafted into the family, and I carry the same dumb unless the Lord delivers me. The Lord says then, Exodus 16, 4, the Lord says to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven, and the people, the people are to go out each day. They're to gather enough for that day. And in this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring, and that's to be twice as much as they gather in the other day. There's two very important things here. They say they had as much food as they wanted, but when they were in Egypt, they had to work for it like, like slaves. Here, the food gets delivered. What is manna? Manna is God's deliverance from their putting their hope in their own ability to feed themselves. And then he leads them. He says, you gather on how many days? Six, and on the sixth day, you gather enough for the seventh. And on the seventh, here's what you're to do. Anybody know? What are they to do? They're to rest. They're to what? They're to rest. Now, that word for some of you here and some of you listening is probably one of the toughest words you've ever heard because you have the spiritual gift of being an energizer bunny, and there's a core belief inside of you, like me, that actually the world rises, our worlds rise and fall based on our activity. Here's a loving father rescuing his kids who've been slaves for hundreds of years. What does he tell them to do? I want you to rest. You've spent generations toiling with no rest. I want you to rest, and I will deliver the food, and I will make enough come in on day six to cover day seven. Why is he doing that? Well, the second thing he's trying to deliver them from is so that their work ethic doesn't become the source of their security. 
So the first thing is he doesn't want their, their ability to feed themselves to be, or provide food for themselves to actually be their source of security. And the second thing, actually, is he doesn't want their work ethic to be their source of security. Now, it's interesting. This one's going to mess with you because they come out of their homes in Egypt, and when God leads them into the desert, they live in tents. I don't mean they live in intense as far as you know, their stress level is intense. I mean they live in little fabric coverings called tents. How many of you have ever been camping or been on YouTube? And watch stories and testimonies of people being attacked by a bear. And that little piece of plastic or that little piece of canvas isn't much resistance, is it? Okay, so this is what God invited his kids to do. I want you to live in tents. I'm going to take you out of the security of the fortified Egypt, out of those stone homes and even the wooden shelters, And I'm going to take you into the desert, and you're going to live in tents. Why do you think he would do that? So that our homes don't become our source of security. Now, he was leading them to a land where homes had been built that they didn't build, and wells had been dug that they didn't dig, and vineyards had been planted they didn't plant. And he had that ready for them. But he's got to get Egypt out of them so that when they go into Canaan, it's kingdom culture, not Egypt culture, you know, rerun kind of thing. So it's interesting then that also when you think of cities at that stage, they often had this big stone perimeter around it called a wall. And that was your, your protector. But it's interesting when the Israelites go into their tent city in the wilderness, they don't have a wall. They not only don't have walls over the, around their home, they don't have walls around the tents. But they do have someone else. And I do say someone else. God said, I want you to build a tent for me. I want you to put it right in the middle. And let me tell you about kingdom culture. Kingdom culture is me in the middle. Kingdom culture is my presence. And When you tend to my presence and you steward my presence, you don't have to worry about the armies that would invade. And he told them how to lay out by families their tents with his tent in the center. So when God builds kingdom culture and he's trying to set them free from Egypt, he puts his presence and the stewardship of his presence right smack in the middle. He does not take Egypt and say, I like all these things of Egypt. I want to save those, and I want to put Egyptian uh, culture rerun, and that'll be how this works. No, no, no. I want you to learn a different way of living. And so he gives them his, his commands. And then there's one more thing. There's probably another thing, but one more thing I want to mention to you. He leads them with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. Now, we're not talking about a candle the size of my finger or the size of my arm. He leads them in a no-brainer. You can get this even if you're dumb as a stump. You follow the cloud. You follow the fire. So rather than doing your own thing, rather than putting your trust in your own ability to navigate, God is saying part of what he wanted to do is to set him free from that old faulty navigational system that was based on the occultism of Egypt. He wanted to set them free and let, them be, let him be their navigator and then prove himself that he would lead them into the promised land. 
Now, if you guys have read your scriptures, you know the story that actually he does lead them to the promised land. They say no because of their fear, and he still takes care of them. He still watches over them. He does still have to prune the unbelief out of them. And he still keeps his promises to take them into the promised land. Why is this important for us today? Um, I think that God says in his word, I, the Lord, don't change. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so here's a, a little snapshot from Exodus chapter 19, verses 3 to 5. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain. He said, this is what you're to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you're to tell the peoples of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how, underline these words, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all of the nations, you will be my treasured possession. And although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. If we had time, I'd really encourage you to look into the priesthood and, and that whole principle of being set apart to God and what it actually meant to be rescued out of the world, but actually made holy through his presence and how to keep ourselves. But that's a longer story. But I want you to see God's kids getting in bondage in the place of blessing. Then he tackles the idols by showing that the those gods, those things they put their trust in, they're a vain hope for deliverance. And then by weaning them off of the places where they put their security so that he can be their security. It wasn't to be forever. It was a season. He was taking them to new homes. But if he, if he could deal with that in their lives, he could take them to the new home and they could steward the new home with the freedom instead of the fear that they would lose it. And recognize, we lived in tent for 40 years. This is a temporary dwelling. You know, some of us need this help from God. Your home may be your castle. It's also your tent. Unless Jesus comes back, somebody else is going to live there someday. Nothing wrong with having a house. But when it becomes our place of security, it can move from value to higher value to higher value and to higher value. And what ends up happening in our lives is idols are not just things. Idols are things we put our trust in that contend with God and our trust of Him. You say, well, what happened in the New Covenant? Can't, this is all Old Testament stuff, and, and, and I, you know, I'm not really sure about the Old Testament. I'm a New Testament Christian. Well, don't start with me, because I believe that God is consistent through the Scriptures. So Jesus comes to earth. And guess what? God's kids are not, not in Egypt. Now they're in Israel, but they're under Rome. And they're back in bondage again. And the place of blessing has become a place of bondage. And Jesus says these words, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. But actually, in the original language, he says mammon. He names a spirit that rides on money. This is still our Father in heaven. 
he's still tackling the gods that we could be enslaved to. He's still dealing here in the new covenant with the idolatry. And is it interesting that Jesus speaks more about money than anything else? So it's the number one contender for our hearts, obviously, because he devotes so much attention to it to say, watch out. He does not forbid us of having money. He warns us about the worship of money. Money can't set you free. But we live in a land today in North America, Canada too, where our hope is what? There's going to be a windfall. Somebody's going to rear-end me, and I'm going to sue, and I'll get a windfall. I'm going to win the lottery, get a windfall. My, I, I don't know any rich relatives, but some rich relative's going to die and leave it to me. I'm going to get a windfall. I'm going to get hurt, and I'm going to get off on compensation. I'll get a windfall. I'm going to, something's going to happen. I'm going to get a windfall. And I want to say to you, like, I, I recognize that spirit working in our culture. You may too, even as we mention it and watch your television today and see the ads online for all that stuff. That's not God's hope, guys. He'll give you a little bit of money to steward while you're here. It could be hundreds, it could be millions. It's a temporary thing, it's a currency. The biggest thing you ever do with your money is bring glory to God and advance the kingdom of God. And if you ever believe that there's a greater cause than that, then you know that idolatry has begun to snuck into your heart, as we're all vulnerable to. So there's no condemnation here. Why is this important? Because where I started this morning is the land, when there was a famine, people went, sometimes where God led, but they went to where they could find provision. And I was, what I'm, what's on my heart this morning is what happens to you and I where we go when there's a famine. If there's a famine of money, sometimes we take that on ourselves and say, it's my job to provide. God never said that. He can lead you to a job. It's right to work. It's right to earn your keep. Absolutely. But we can do that as an expression of God's mission, not as a place where we put our hope. Then we're free to lose the job or change the job. Not that we throw it away, but we're free to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Here's the challenging thing. If God did this, then... Could he use the disintegration of my job today to set me free from where I've put my hope in it that it's my security? Well, I just asked if he could. But I want to tell you, if he's loving, he will. Doesn't mean he'll get you fired. I don't know about you, but I have the ability to get myself fired all by myself. I have that gift. I can't, I can't blame God for all the goofy stuff in my life. I can sow and reap. But if it's a place where I've put my hope, so when there's a famine in the land and we lose our job, sometimes we're vulnerable to worship mammon or other gods in our culture, and then our own leading to a new job based on the finances, based on the security, based on something other than the mission of God and what he's calling it to. What about when there's a famine of love? I'm not trying to pick on anybody. But sometimes when there's a famine of love, it's like, well, my clock is ticking. I'm getting desperate. I have to settle for a different kind of man or a different kind of woman because I need one. Hello, we've seen this, haven't we? Lots of us here have, have married up. And some of us are, are, are living with the scars because we did something desperate because there was a famine of love and we took matters in our own, time, in our own hands. The, the stereotypical version it's the young woman whose dad's not there. She needs the love of a man, which is a legitimate need, but she decides to go and get it met in her own means. 
and she ends up, what? In bondage. I was no, I'm not saying this to shame any of you. I'm saying, would God come to the rescue? Would God reveal those other things that we've made idols of and put our hope in? What about when there's a lack of acceptance? So many places today, maybe not in Syracuse, but in so many parts of the U.S. and in Canada, we have young men who are lacking love, and they're going and finding it where? Right? In, in gangs. Sometimes in, in horrible, uh, dark places in culture. But if the, fundamental need, the fundamental issue is not just their behavior. It's that there's a famine of love, and they're going to the one place where they feel like they're loved. Right? What about when there's a famine of joy? I'm very aware this morning that I'm not speaking to the gang members. There may be a few of you watching online, and I just want you to know that God loves you. You're not condemned. But you can also wake up and, and in a sense, smell the coffee in this, and that maybe the thing that's taking you there is actually a yearning for God, and you're settling for second best. Here's the thing about idols. You know how to tell when you've got an idol in your life? You can't let go. Or you keep going back to it. Addictions, they're places we find comfort. Will God come as a loving father and expose those false comforts to show us that they're just not working? Absolutely, because he hasn't changed. Why is this important today? Because the Lord has called us to make disciples. He's called us to raise up a generation who's actually been rescued out of the world, and they haven't forgotten the world, but the, the strongholds in their lives have been so broken that they don't go back to it when there's a famine in the land. Or if they find themselves in a famine and they're going through a desert, that they can actually look with spiritual eyes instead of the eyes of flesh and say, Father, I want to see what you're doing. I want to be drawn to your close in this time of leanness. I want to be drawn to your heart when I'm going through this time of lack. I want to be drawn to your heart. Friends, I can tell you about people on our team and, and dear people that I know that have walked through a season where they did not receive a paycheck, a salary, or predictable uh, income coming in. It's not fun if it's imposed upon you, but for the people that I'm, I'm speaking of in their instances, it was the Lord. Did he take away their fun? No, he took away their false security. And he showed them that he is a better provider than any paycheck can ever be. Why does he do that? Just because he's trying to set his kids free. That's all. Just because they cry out to him and say, I want more, I want free, Father. And then he comes and he exposes the false deities, the idols, the stuff that we got in the world that's still in here. And he takes us to the next level. Now, I have a word this morning that I want to share about leaders. For those of you in, who are in leadership, it can be very confusing and very disorientating when you actually say yes to the Lord to lead in the kingdom and then you go through this time of threshing, you go through this time of de detox. I'm not saying it's 40 years, literally, but 40 in the scriptures, a number breakthrough. But, so it, it takes the time until you break through and God breaks you through so that he can, you can lead in the kingdom rather than just lead from the world's perspective and call it kingdom. We, we can't be a set-apart people when we play that game and those idols are still in our lives. And so, but it's very confusing for many of us as leaders. Father, why am I going through the, the, the threshing, the trials, the, the tough stuff of leadership? Why is it so lonely? Why is it so hard? Why is it all that kind of stuff? I can't give you simple answers that would just, just make you feel all happy inside. 
But I can promise you this. Probably at some point you cried out to God. Probably at some point you heard his voice go into ministry. You said yes, and he said yes. But you didn't know that when he said yes, it meant that the refiner's fire would come to try and deliver you from the bondage of our culture so that you can be a leader of kingdom culture and that as people follow you, they become like him. What does God do in the body of Christ? He refines us all. So what's he do with the leader? He refines them first because they go ahead. That's what leaders do. They just go ahead. Does that make sense? I, I hope this encourages you today. For some of you who are ready to throw in the towel, whether it's here in this, this fellowship or in the region, can, can, would you, can I ask you to do a double take? It's always wise to get wise counselors around you. But could you ask first what God's doing? When famine threatens, don't let the place of blessing become the place of bondage. Be careful where you run for help and how long you stay. And if God says, do not go back to Egypt, then by all means, please don't go. There's a couple of main reasons why I shared this with you this morning. Most of us, myself included, are unaware of the idolatry in our lives. They could kill us. I am one of those leaders that I questioned the refining of God. And I remember the day when the Lord said to me, Kent, where we're going, there's no room for sin. And I heard him. I know I heard him. But to be honest, I thought at that point, I'd been in ministry for a number of years, I thought I was traveling kind of light. But in my own life, I hadn't been healed. And so there's all kinds of infrastructures inside of me about the way I relate, the way I handle myself, and all that kind of stuff, the way I see men and women. And, and basically, the world was still in me, even though I'd been set apart from the world. And here's what happened with me. I asked for more, and he brought more. There's a part of this message this morning that's for those of you who are asking for more. Your Father in Heaven is going to bring the more. He's going to bring it in a package you don't expect. He'll bring it in a good package. He'll bring it in a, uh, a real package in the sense that it brings fruit in our lives. But sometimes it's hard for us to embrace when our Father in Heaven comes in response to our cry and He starts to tear at, the, the not tear at violently, but he starts to dismantle the idolatry in our lives that we didn't know was there. And I just want to tell you, while you are walking with God in his kingdom, there are many, many levels to intimacy with him. You can say, I, okay, I got it. I've had, I got intimacy with the Lord. He set me free. And then, then you say, Lord, I want to go deeper. He says, absolutely, we're going deeper. And you're going, I thought I dealt with this. I thought I'd been over some of that generational stuff. I thought I'd been over some inner healing stuff. I thought, you know, I, I've been through this. And you have at that level, but you graduated. <laughs> and when you graduate, you can be surprised, shocked, confused, because the loving father who's also the refiner comes with his breakthrough to break you out of that old mold and draw you closer to his heart. If you've asked to be closer to his heart, don't take it back now. Just buckle your seatbelt and say yes before you say no. The more you say yes and go to the next level, 
the more God is going to challenge the gods of this world. He's going to give you eyes to see, and you may find yourself being rescued from something that you didn't actually know you were in bondage to. There are times where God leads out of the land of blessing because we've gotten enslaved to it and we didn't know. There's, there's times where he's got to take us as his kids, maybe even we've been walking with the Lord for a few years, and he's got to take us on a little detox journey because we've started just not intentionally, it's usually accidentally, but we started falling back into valuing and worshiping and idolizing things here, things we put our hope in. You can idolize your spouse, you can idolize your kids, you can idolize all kinds of things. You don't have to, and by the way, I just want to warn you, please don't take, there's many tenderhearted people listening to this, this message where you can take it, oh my gosh, maybe I've screwed up. No, 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 just pause, breathe, and listen. Do what he tells you, and know the difference between your Father in Heaven's voice and the condemner who comes with a finger point. You need conviction of the Holy Spirit to set you free into God's purposes. You don't need more condemnation. And please learn, if you you need some godly counsel, seek out some godly counsel and say, there's crazy stuff going on in my mind because I'm not sure which voice I'm hearing. And that's really an essential part of following the Lord is that we learn to hear His voice. But you may be in a place today where you're actually looking at what you're missing, what you've lost, what's not there yet, but what you've let go of or what God's pruned out of your life. And a hopelessness starts to come in because you're looking with the world's eyes, which is the eyes you were raised with. And you need the Lord to take the scales off your eyes so you can see the way that he's wanting to care for you and actually draw you close to his heart. If you keep graduating, I just want to promise you this thing. God will use money somewhere along the way, if not repeatedly along the way. Why? Because it's one of the number one God's contending for your heart. It's actually one of the ways you can test God because he told you to. I'm just saying, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. As we were preparing, uh, I felt like this word is for this community and this church. Again, keep yourself from condemnation. Please listen to the Lord. And as I share this word, I want to beg you not to get all excited that, that I'm going to share something from God. I want you to get, get really tender to his heart and get obedient if you can. The Holy Spirit is going to speak to you. And I would like to implore you as your brother to say yes to going to the next level. But be ready because as God answers your cry to go deeper in your life, The yes may be tough to say and walk because God isn't asking you to do the same things over again, but to apply the blood of Jesus at a deeper level for deeper healing in your life. Pastor Jim and Pastor Kelly, I want to announce a new breakthrough coming. And I sense it's going to happen across the church. It's going to start in your leaders who come and announce to you privately that they have said a yes to the Lord in the deeper crevices of their life. And they're just coming to tell you as their pastors, we're saying yes to the Lord. We're saying a new yes to the Lord. We're saying a deeper yes to the Lord. 
It's not going to come from all the broken people or the people that you expect. It's going to come from some of the leaders, the put together, the polished, those carrying authority, those carrying offices, those that are in the early stages actually wanting to say yes to God's call. It's going to come from all over the place quietly to you saying, pastors, I'm saying a yes to the Lord and he's refining me in the deeper places of my life. And so I'm calling out to you, the Lord is this morning rather, to leaders, influencers, that you hear the voice of the Lord, and that you do what he says. In the secret places of your heart, where Jesus is knocking, open that door. Not all the doors. Open that door where he's knocking with his call. You can't buy it, but please hear me. It's going to cost you. But God is no man's debtor. He will not fail to give you more than you can ever sacrifice. Walking by faith is saying yes to God before you see all the dollar signs. But it's going to cost some of your safety and security and the places where you've built or covered it yourself or put your your trust in. And I'm announcing to you the invitation of your Father in heaven who's actually answering the cry of your heart and taking you to the next level. He's got to confront the idols. He has to. He has to. Beg him to. He's got to confront the idols in the family. He's got to confront the idolatry in our land. I don't have time to go into how busted we are here in North America. He's got to confront the idolatry in our lives. It could be safety after you've been hurt. That's your idol. It could be family. It could be health and security. The thing is, God, you know in your head, I hope, that God has the key to cover all these things. But I'm imploring you today, do not look on the surface where you've already been. Open the door that Jesus is knocking on today. When I say this, you can go into fear and wonder, oh no, what is he asking of me? But I want to ask you to invite the Lord to give you the fear of the Lord that you could hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. You could say yes to that door and swing it open. Some of you, this is going to be scary. But you're not alone. And I believe that God is doing this because His people are crying out for more. And He's tested, and He's found you faithful. And so when he, you said, would you take us deeper? He said, yes, my son. Yes, my daughter. Don't worry about the world, friends. I know it's tough. Having worked in a healing ministry for a number of years and walked through a ton of junk in my own life, let me just tell you, I have moments where I wrestle, but I don't have moments where I say, God, I want to go back. So can you hear the testimony of me and the people who are sitting here nodding? When the Lord delivers you from evil, as Jesus taught us to pray, deliver us from evil. It, it hurts and it's costly and there's a time of threshing, but not many of us end up saying, man, I really miss that idolatry in my life. Why? Because he builds an intimacy that gives you a security. He anchors your heart to his presence. He shows you who he really is and how those other gods are a vain hope for deliverance. Your confidence, your joy goes like this because you were made for relationship with him and for his purposes.
Let me pray with you. In the name of Jesus, our Father, we want to say yes to what you're saying to us today. I pray for every person who's hearing my voice right now. Oh God, set my words aside. May it be your voice. And I ask, Father, that you'd give us the clarity to say, yes, Holy Spirit. Yes, Holy Spirit. I want to not just hear your voice. I want to act. I want, Lord, all the hearing to become action, to become a yes. Help me not to strive. Help me not to take it into my own strength. I know that's not what you're calling me to. But Lord, I pray that you'd help me to give you a yes and to rest in you. And I trust you, Lord, that as it falls, you will not only respond to that, but you will show me the next step and the next step and the next step. Father, I pray for Pastor Jim and Pastor Kelly as leaders and the rest of the leadership here. Lord, that they would see your spirit moving as we've stated today and, and see the heart of your people moving deeper in intimacy with you. We ask you, Lord, for the keys of the kingdom to set the captives free, that you would deal with idolatry in the body of Christ in this region, in the land in this region. And Father, that you'd raise up an army of intercessors who are trustworthy and faithful and led by your spirit to actually do the groundwork to see healing come forward. We know, Father, that you are the God who picks leaders out of places we often don't expect, but we give you permission to have your way and help us to see with your eyes and hear with our ears. I pray for the person today, Lord, who's struggling, who finds themselves in a place where some of their idols have been dismantled and the confusion is, is all around them. And in Jesus' name, I bind that confusion and every voice of the evil one in Jesus' name, and I ask you, Father in heaven, that your spirit would speak to your son or daughter even now as they're watching this, and that you would show them the way in which they should walk, because we know that's your heart. Lord, bring godly counsel around them to sort through all of the revelation and so-called revelation that they, they might really understand your heart and be able to say yes to you. Lord, I also pray for those who've been walking with you for many years, but you're drawing them into a new season. And they didn't expect it, but they know it's you. They know it's you. As they say yes, thank you for your answers. Thank you that you hear us. Thank you that you are still the God who hears the cries of your kids to come and deal with the bondage where we get stuck in things that you give us as a blessing and then we get stuck there. Lord, forgive us. I'm so sorry for all the times where my eyes have been so stuck on material things that I missed what your spirit was doing. But we pray in the name of Jesus that you would be glorified and honored in the yes that comes out of the core of our being. We pray in the name of Jesus that your kingdom go forward and that as we say yes, no matter the cost, that we know your joy is going to come with it. And so will the witness of your spirit, the confirmations of your spirit, so that we will have the privilege of walking out knowing we're in the center of your will, even if parts of our lives are coming a bit unraveled. And I bless you as God's people with courage, because you need courage. Because God's taking you someplace you've never been. He's taking you out of where you have been. Because he's faithful, because he's good. And he promised that he'd build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. It's time in North America where God is announcing a new level of the battle and a new level of the deliverance. So, Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. May God bless you and give you the breakthrough.
Thanks for tuning in today.